The DIA is the only national professional body that champions the value of all design and the impact of our designers. Its purpose is to help designers prosper by providing knowledge, thought leadership, access and inclusivity. Head to design.org.au for more information about becoming a member of the DIA. The DIA acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, giving respect to Elders past, present and future as the continuous custodians of the land upon which the DIA National Office is located. We thank all continuing custodians of this land who share their wisdom and knowledge so that we may all have a better understanding of this place, now known as Australia. Starting her career as a theatre set designer, formalising her degree at RMIT in interior design, and yet carrying this theatrical thread in the creation of experiential and immersive spaces, and developing a reputation as an innovative and yet pragmatic designer that is fearless with colour. Danielle's approach is singular, creating richly layered interiors that are imbued with character, warmth and elegance. With her studio based in Melbourne at Collingwood Yards, we introduce Danielle Brussman. Hey, Danielle, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us, where are you joining us from today? Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I'm currently in my studio at Collingwood Yards in Melbourne on a very rainy November morning. (laughs) And how long have you been in your studio for? Well, I've been at the Collingwood Yard since the beginning of 2020. I had a residency there for a year, which was, it's the Bank of Melbourne funded studio residency. So I was there through the 2020 and then half of 2021. And now I'm in a, a share space here. I really love being here. It's a really incredible community of people cool and arts practitioners from a whole range of disciplines so and you know of course right in the heart and center of Collingwood so it's a great place to create from and and collaborate with a whole bunch of interesting people as well. It's an amazing development what they've done there and it's um, so conducive to small practitioners coming together and working collaboratively. Have you found that that's helped your practice? It's helped me a whole lot. I mean prior to having my studio here I worked from home for many years which you know has its advantages and I have a young daughter as well so it was kind of handy I suppose when she was quite young working from home and then being able to kind of tend to what what she needed and move around in a fairly flexible way but what I didn't realize was how much I was missing being a part of a kind of larger broader creative community and it just makes such a huge difference I suppose to to my whole outlook about my practice and kind of really having you know conversations with a whole range of people about the work that I'm doing and just projects and ideas some of which belong in you know my own world in interior design and then some that don't as well so it's just been it's just been really really great for me both you know on a sort of professional level but also on a very personal level to feel connected which I think as a small you know as an independent kind of designer you can often feel a little isolated in what you're doing and this has been you know, a real shift for me in that way. Yeah. And it's easy to get lost in the juggle between family life as well and then trying to work in your practice. There's so much to do on both sides. 
have you found that you can bring your family life into the yards or you, you've actually created more separation? I think I've created a little bit more separation, which, you know, obviously with COVID, that's been, you know, that's all yeah. been a bit up in the air as well because life and work has become so kind of, you know, crazy and enmeshed and, you know, you're having meetings in pyjamas with kids in the background and it's just all kind of been, you know, pretty hilarious in that way. But and it's been challenging but I think it's also been grounding at the same time because all of a sudden, you know, we're not just these professional people. We're actually sort of more rounded, you know, professional people who also have a a family and who also have personal things going on at the same time and that veil has been kind of, you know, lifted, I suppose. Yes, we're all seen as humans in a way. You know, everything is revealed by even your Zoom background. That's right, yeah, which I think is there's there's things that are really great about that. It's kind of, yeah, it's more real in a sense and it, it makes people feel a little more connected in a way as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that real-life presence of working side by side, even if you're not in the same business but working in collaborative spaces, again, face-to-face feels and certainly what you described feels like it's quite grounding and compartmentalised in a really positive way. So it sounds like where you are now you can have kind of like pop brainstorms and things, which is my idea of heaven. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even just kind of being back here in the last week and bumping into people that, you know, I haven't seen for several months and just having those sort of just those conversations on the street or at the cafe or, you know, those conversations that you we've all missed out on over the last, you know, few months. And it just it, it makes a huge difference to how you feel, really. Yes, you feel so much more connected, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. And what are you what are you working on in the studio at the moment? What's uh, I've got a bit of a mixed um, bag of projects on at the moment, and they're all really interesting. And I'm, I'm my my biggest project that I'm focusing on is a a brand new childcare centre, which is going which is going to be in Sydney. And I've got a pretty sort of hefty deadline that I'm working towards with my team putting together the tender package for that. So that's taking up that's taking up most of my time at the moment, and I'm also working on a performance piece with an artist, a local Melbourne artist called Holly Durant, and that is opening in December at 45 downstairs. So I'm working on the set design for that project, and a couple of residential projects on the go, as well as a hair salon. <laughs> So it's, yeah, it's very mixed. It's kind of. Yeah, but it's fantastic breadth to your work in that you work into residential but also the commercial and hospitality sectors. And you can see this sort of theatrical thread coming through your work that sort of talks to your time as a a, um, theatre designer. How do you sort of build that narrative in your process as you're sort of working through that design thinking? Is it just imbued in in your workings? I think it is a little imbued. I I really I really enjoy working on residential projects, but I think I think that there's something about working in a more kind of, you know, in education or in a commercial realm where there's just a little bit more sort of opportunity to to experiment in with color and shape and they're the sort of they're the two sort of things that kind of I tend to sort of I guess 
focus on. And there is there is always a narrative. My work is narrative driven and I do create kind of, you know, even if my client doesn't ever hear about this or the the, you know, anyone who might interact with the space or be in that space, I have sort of often generated some sort of storyline that goes through um, and helps me generate the design, which definitely comes, you know, sort of harks back to my background as a, as a set designer. But I think it's almost just it harks back to just maybe some sort of childhood way of creating that I've always had, you know, in a way, I've always been making. I don't know. I've my journey with design. I think began sort of by me kind of making up stories in my mind when I was younger, and then you know making the sets and performing them and creating spaces and worlds that were you know imaginary. And I think that I've just continued on with that as an adult in my professional life. I I love the idea of creating an imaginary world and then almost uh, and building that vision. So you're, you know, building something physical, but you can see it and you've made it in your mind and then you're almost executing that vision. It's yeah. it's such a nice way to work. I think of your the in 2018 the Rig Prize and your work there. I certainly walked into that space and I went, oh, it's Xanadu. Like I just, I, I, you know, the music and the colour, it was so theatrical and so enticing. And I wonder when you were given the opportunity to participate in that, how did you start that process? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. That was, that. that's sort of, you know, really lovely to hear. And it was just like, that project was just so, so wonderful. It was so exciting to be given that platform, you know, to create and create an interior in inside the National Gallery. It was just so wonderful. And I think in terms of my approach from the beginning, I decided that I just, I wanted it to be a way for me to express myself in a very sort of honest and uninhibited way, you know, and we don't often get to do that. Well, I hadn't had that many opportunities to do that with my interior design work and I was just I wanted it to be very personal I really sort of went within and kind of decided I'd just be absolutely true to what my heart wanted to create without there being a client and without there being too many limitations or restrictions it was really just that's what came out and it was this you know yes it was kind of this Xanadu inspired fantasy world I suppose but then I sort of you know had all these ideas were very whimsical but then trying to kind of work out a way to ground that in an interior space that for me I would actually be quite happy to live I think not necessarily you know not necessarily a space that everyone would want to live in but for me it was kind of like a dream you know a dream world that you could actually create as a potentially as an interior in a real in a domestic setting. Is that a part of your approach to your interiors that you do that because as you're talking I'm thinking you know interior design is you know like set design you set the stage do you see the people that live in the space or use the space like are they the actors or are the pieces you know the sum of all parts of the pieces the actors like where do you draw the line because I understand with that fantasy mindset you know sometimes the the people in them are the are the players yeah I mean I I think I think it's it's an interesting question because I think particularly in the rig I was creating a space for whoever might occupy that space 
to live in, but also to be, to perform, you know, and it's not necessarily something that I want to impose on anybody that might exist in a space that I create, but I want to create spaces that give, give a sense of play, you know, and, and an opportunity for people to sort of be themselves and be expressive and to not feel like too rigid or restricted in their worlds. Yeah. But in terms of whether, whether I see anybody occupying space as a performer, it's not so much that, but it's more like a license to perform if they want to. You look at your the, your spaces and the the way you use color in your space is also very theatrical and and very playful. It almost invites people in, and you want to sort of engage and touch and feel. How do you use color as a device in your your designs? Well, I sort of I suppose it I suppose color became really. I mean, I love color, and I have mm. always loved color, as a lot of people do. But I think when I started working like as a set designer, one of the biggest, the most difficult things about that were the budgets were just so restrictive, you know, like I'd sort of be asked to create a set for a play and they'd say, okay, well, you've got $400 to design the set, build it and find the costumes. So I had to be very inventive with, you know, the materials that I would use and how I would go about creating these spaces for the show. And so paint just became you know, a, a very accessible tool that not only were, you know, would work in terms of purchasing the material, but I could, I could apply it myself. And I got quite into sort of, you know, creating form with paint and using that as a device to design with for theatre. And I think that what's happened is I've kind of continued on with that and sort of, you know, it might not necessarily be that I'll paint a mural on a wall, but I'll kind of create these sort of fairly graphic, colourful shapes and forms in a variety of materials, but then colour has become quite key and integral in terms of marking space, delineating space, giving it a feel and a sense of a sense or warmth or, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, it's just a very powerful tool. And I think of your work in the Brighton Childcare Centre and how that's come into play there. How did you use that as a as a device? Well the clients with that project were wonderful and they really sort of they did give me quite a lot of free reign to sort of come up come up with a you know some ideas and a palette that was pretty radical I thought for mm. childcare Very and, and yeah and that was the brief they were like we just want it to we don't want it to sort of we don't want it to seem like we don't want it to look like a childcare center that you've ever seen before so really experiment and feel you know you don't have to stick to those traditional kind of colors that you often see in education just really you know take from your own sensibilities and and come up with something and then we sort of set out we set out a whole range of themes that were connected to nature and play and then I decided to develop a kind of palette that was a colour and materials palette that fed into those different themes. So each room had its own, you know, its own aesthetic and story and palette but then as a whole it kind of was all fairly sort of integrated and balanced. Yeah. And you, you mentioned you have a team 
In yeah. terms of going through that palette selection and and building that sort of narrative, do you work as part of a conversation or do you just know intuitively what you're looking for? I think with that stuff, particularly with colour and material, I'm pretty sort of, you know, I'm very clear about it. It's it's sort of, I think it's a little bit of a, compo- I think I have some sort of weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, some 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 sort of strange thing in my brain that kind of, you know, certain colours sit with other colours in a way that makes me feel comfortable. You know, there's a sense of equilibrium or tension between colours that I feel at ease with and I use that sort of intuition and that kind of feeling to help guide me in terms of pairing certain things, creating creating collection, I sort of see them as collections of colours and I really enjoy playing around with not just colours that work well together but colours that don't work well together and sort of finding these interesting sort of tipping points between them all. I love it. And do you, you know, order your brush outs, put them on the wall, look at them, play with them, and then you actually, you know, you paint, you're working with the painter and you paint the wall in situ and then suddenly, you know, it's a shade too light, too dark. How particular are you as you go through that process? Yeah, I mean, when I'm allowed to be, I, can, I get very particular. I mean, I sort of definitely lay it all out. It's designed, it's drawn, it's kind of coded. And I'll hand it over to whoever is, is doing that work. But then I I definitely get in there when I'm allowed. Can we just try to paint that? That piece there is just a little bit dark. Can we just lighten it? And like particularly with that Brighton Street project, the person that did all of those, who painted all of those murals, um, you know, was equally as sort of obsessed with it. And so they were very happy to help me find that kind of lovely, you know, that lovely synergy between those colours. And, yes, they have to be tweaked always. Like I I do, when I do um, choose colours, I tend to just go down to the paint shop and get like the swatches, like the cardboard swatches. I find I don't like working out palettes digitally and I don't actually paint paint them necessarily but I I just work with those cardboard swatches and then yeah I spend you know I spend a lot of time sort of really kind of trying to sort of create it and then once I know I've I've nailed it with those swatches then I feel safe that I can kind of implement it on a wall with paint but yes with that Brighton Street project there were definitely some tweaks on site This podcast was made with the support of Dulux. Head to dulux.com.au forward slash colours for your insider scoop on what's new, emerging and upcoming in the wild world of colour. Explore the 2022 Dulux colour forecast colour palettes to discover the trends set to influence colour and design for the coming year. And it's amazing how the orientation of a room or the way the light hits the wall can suddenly change the colour and the tone, you know, that you've carefully selected and suddenly it's, you know, two shades too light or it's doing something completely different. And that's fascinating in its own right. Yeah, it is. And I think that each time I I work on a project and I am sort of exploring colour, I learn so much about that, like about the colours and the light and how it kind of really does 
depend on where it's being applied and what kind of light is hitting it. It makes such a vast difference to how it ends up, you know, looking and resonating in a space. Agree. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that I certainly end up going to Bunnings and standing in front of the colour wall and leaving with about 100 swatches and they just, you know, they scatter everywhere. It's so much fun. I know. <laughs> I began. That is, like, I have a seven-year-old and that is our favourite game. Apart from <laughs> there's nothing else to do at Bunnings but shop the cards. Yeah, it's wealth. You come away and you're like, oh, okay, many I it's so good. It's like going to the beach and there's been just like thousands of shells that you can kind of, you know, pick up and play with and they're just all there for you. Sand to glass. It's like treasure. Like you fed out the cards. Yeah. Totally, totally. It's a very particular, <laughs> particular thing. So it's nice to hear that we all share that. Oh, yeah. We just bought some Pantone decks. They're so, if I keep getting them out. I look at them, I pack them up, I put them straight back in the box like dolls. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. I can't bear for them to be wrinkled. Totally. Totally. And it's amazing how colour can make you feel. Like you're so emotionally connected to the way you, how, how colour sort of, well, connects to you and you think of colour combinations as well and that beautiful clash that you get, it's almost like a bit of a fizz in a way. It, okay. it really makes you feel something very strongly. In terms of the, you know, the last two years and, and working through the pandemic, do you think your approach has changed at all? I mean, we're talking in particular about colour, but in general as well? I think, I think in general everyone's just a bit more sensitive to everything, you know, and I feel like people have softened and, you know, everyone has just kind of, everyone has just kind of changed a little bit in, in many ways. And I guess, you know, as a designer, we're always sort of working with people and for people and what that sense, particularly like what all these spaces mean to us. Like, you know, we've spent so much time at home all of a sudden home is a is a different space, you know. Home is our home and where we work and, and live and lead our lives, but then also now it's a space where we work. We've, you know, just everything is so different and work is different. I mean, socialising is different, eating is different. So, I mean, everything we do is now a little bit different and I think that, like, with our design thinking, it all needs to kind of, sort of reflect that I suppose and be sensitive to those shifts and changes and sensitive to what we're all experiencing and feeling at the moment so yeah I think that there's definitely it definitely affects my approach and my my thinking yeah. and do you think that if you think of a color palette or material selection it's softened or it's actually become stronger and more vibrant I think I'm not sure. It's interesting because I think people respond differently. You know, some people are sort of needing something very serene, you know, like kind of to calm the nerves and then other people are wanting more stimulus, you know, because we've been deprived in a sense of some of our stimulus that we are used to. So, they're kind of, you know, people are also wanting homes to be a little bit more exciting than mm than normal yeah <laughs> I agree about yeah. that like because you said earlier about the difference with residential I think to commercial and the boldness can you talk more about your clients and 
what they can stomach depending on the project. Not stomach, but their bravery. Yeah, and I think that's changing for me a little bit now because I'm finding more so that kind of seeing something that I have done that might be a little bit more bold and then they're liking that and so they're coming to me, you know, wanting that, which is a really nice progression. So my clients at the moment are all kind of quite bold in terms of what what they're after and I think that they've chosen to work with me because they they get a sense of that and they want they want something of that in their own in their own spaces, both commercially and residentially. But I just thought of something that's just a little bit different, but it's just a bit of a story. Someone I used to work with, which just reminded me of the pandemic and kind of how we're sort of, how we're a little bit different, but he had agoraphobia and so couldn't, you know, and was this really interesting person and passionate about many, many different things. And but he couldn't travel, he couldn't fly or go overseas. So he used to create these really extraordinary spaces within his own home, which were very vibrant in color and material and very dense and very saturated. And that just reminded me a little bit of, you know, just that question about what happens to people when they can't travel or leave the house or you know do the thing you know explore the world the explore the external world it's like for some people the response to that is then to kind of you know create something a little bit more dynamic within the home I agree and and that sort of comment you made about saturated colours as well, it feels like we are feeling more, we are perhaps more vulnerable, we understand our vulnerabilities and we actually want to feel that in the colour selections that we have within our house, you know, beige and, and the you know, those light colours and maybe we're moving away from and we're actually going to deeper tones that are perhaps slightly more emotional. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every project's different. And um, certainly when you talk about building a narrative, you know, things can take different directions as well. So it's not like you stick to a certain formula either. Anyway. Yeah. It's funny though, because I try, it's, it's that thing of that you can never escape yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And that extends to how you design. Like, even sometimes when I really try to sort of, really really do something completely different it's like oh no I'm still there I'm mm-hmm. still, it's still my hand <laughs> it's you can't and I think back to the rig prize and you said you know you want it to be the truth of yourself and if it's sitting in a you know a curved seating element looking at this softly huge sort of light installation with this music I'm there that's lovely. You know? <laughs> it's just, and I found that, you know, I wanted to sit in the space and experience the space and put my roller skates on. I, I wanted to, you know, be part of it. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. <laughs> that's so nice. I know I wanted to roller skate on there too. Yes. I hope there was a little opening party where you got to put your roller skates on. We never got to do, no, we never really got to sort of um, actually be in, sit in the installation which was kind of weird like we we, there was this plan at one point where we talked about maybe we should all organize to have a little tea party in each installation but we never we never got down to it so it was a bit sad that you know they were lovely you know we didn't actually get to sort of be in the spaces other than when we were building them you know I mean we spent a lot of time that was also really interesting about the rig was 
we, you know, we installed it, you know, the gallery. So because it was a competition, they couldn't get too involved in the actual installation. So we brought in our own team, like we brought in our own builders and, you know, everybody really, painters, tilers, everyone, and everyone had their own kind of construction team going on. And we were in there for, I think, three weeks bumping in. So that was that was great. So we all got to really sort of be in the space, be in the installation, but unfortunately the audience weren't allowed to actually get inside it. <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about bringing your own team into the space. How do you find that you work with, you know, trades and builders and joiners? I mean, your work is always beautifully executed. How do you find that dialogue? Well, it's, you know, that that's always a kind of challenging mm. process but a, a very important one you rely so heavily on on whoever it is you're working with and, and their skills and how they kind of adopt you know the design and then the, essentially it's their hands to, to build something so I have this you know I have a joiner who his name's Matt Staples and he has a, a company called Pro Sculpt, and I've been working with him for many years. We work on a range of projects ranging from like, you know, just a residential kitchen to a bespoke piece of furniture. And I think what what's so great about Matt is I've shown, you know, at times I've shown, sent drawings to different builders or joiners and they're like, oh, no, I'm not touching, not touching that. Don't want him to. Can't do that. Don't want to do that looks like a headache. I'm not doing yep. it. And then Matt's always been like, oh, okay, yep, that, that looks very, very tricky, but we can do it. And so we've kind of, you know, he's been really wonderful in terms of helping me develop my own language because actually without him I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do the rig. He built that, you know, and it was you know, and, and yeah, so he's also been a very integral part of me building my own design language and what, what, what I'm actually able to achieve. Mm. It's such an important dialogue, isn't it, in the execution of your vision of what you're imagining and the, and you know in that part of that conversation with the, the builder that they understand and you'll do it almost together. Yeah, and yes, absolutely, and you really need to find those people that you gel with and who and that there's a kind of, you know, there's an understanding as well between you about what the decisions that someone makes when they're building something. It's like all those small decisions affect the final outcome. Um, totally. And so it's nice when you can find people to work with whose small decision-making you trust and you like as well. Small and large, you know. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. It's such an important piece of the project delivery. It really is. Yeah. So uh, we, we, we have a question for you, you know, what's in your future, you know, what's next, what's your dream project? Do you, do you have something on the horizon or something that you could imagine into being that would be a dream project? I do have a dream. I mean, I, I would love to one day design, I think this is a lot of interior, interior designers have this dream project, but I would really love to do a hotel. Mm. Um, I agree. A, yeah, a very, you know, sort of 
magical and exciting hotel. I'm not quite sure where it is, like whether it's in Australia or overseas, but that that's the fantasy and I haven't had that brief yet. So that's the dream project. But I'm also pretty I'm also very excited about the idea of continuing to design furniture and lighting as well. Like I've really enjoyed that the last few years. I mean, not necessarily in a kind of, you know, I don't want to be manufacturing sort of large quantities of of furniture, but I really, really enjoy sort of going down into that sort of very sort of contained, you know, world where you sort of you're designing something that sits in, you know, it sits mm. clearly in this in this envelope and it lives, you know, it could be put in a home or or, or any sort of project. And I just I just hope that I get to have more opportunities to design furniture as well. And it's a very holistic approach, isn't it? As you're putting something into a space perhaps you've created and the light is something that you've um, imagined as well. So it all sort of sits together. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very lovely to have that opportunity. And it does that also. I mean, I've been, I've worked in so many worlds, you know, like, Obviously, there's the theatre thing, but that you know, I'm also I'm very interested in in not that I'm not like trained in fashion design, but I've always been interested in fashion design. I've always been interested in lighting. I've always been interested in furniture. So there's all these kind of areas that I've been a part of, but then I'm just yeah, I'm just enjoying the opportunities to explore different different disciplines and mediums and and ways in which you can design that that sit inside the interior design world but then kind of push it a little bit beyond that as well. And in terms of collaborations or, you know, working with people or looking at new talent, is there anyone that you're, you know, working with or, or would love to work with as an emerging artist or designer? Yeah, well, I, I was very I, – I was asked – to be a on the panel for the design files awards this year in the emerging talent category and that was exciting a very that was an honor and I really enjoyed that and a couple of the designers in that in that award I was really excited and impressed by one is Nicole Lawrence who's a furniture designer and she's making some really beautiful pieces and the other person is Jessie French, who's creating all this really, all these interesting homewares out of algae and kind of kelp and creating all these extraordinary pieces. She's done this, you know, one extensive research in which is, you know, it's getting noticed all over the place. But, yeah, I mean, those two particularly stand out as being some fresh talent to look out for. We'll we'll check them out. Well, thank you, Danielle. That's been an amazing conversation. I just I just have um, yes. two more questions. Oh, but there we go. They could be quickies. What's your favourite Dulux colour? Okay. Well, that's such a hard question. But <laughs> but recently I had to powder coat something, um, and I used the French the Dulux French blue powder coat, and it was spectacular. What's your signature Dulux white? Oh, that is such, I, I don't, I actually don't think I can answer that question. That's the, what I struggle with the most, to be honest. Controversial. Like, I, I can't, I don't think I can commit to the, the Dulux white colour. I'm That's sorry. a true colourist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play for 
<laughs> That's the hardest one. Picking the white is the hardest, hardest one. <laughs> it, it's wherever the mood takes you. Yeah. <laughs> do you let the other colours, do they dictate what white's going to come in or is it an argument between like the other colours and the light that's coming in too? I think it's always about the light in the space with white because I think all of the, I think most of the whites kind of work. Oh, no, that's not true. Sometimes you want to sort of have it sort of a little bit more dusty, a dustier white with a kind of moodier palette. But it just, it's just that thing where it really, it, you know, white just, it just does such strange things depending on where it's placed and, and the kind of light that's in the room with it. So yeah, I do. I for, I make the painters always do the tests, the patches on the walls. Even when it seems like, can you do this white, this white, and this white? They're like, oh god, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a big reveal, isn't it? At the end, you never quite know how it's going to play out, and the one that you think you're going to get, it, it's never that one. You know? No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got thank you, Danielle. If you just, yeah. if you were to name and you'll up colour, what would you like to name a colour? Name one. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh gosh, I'm not sure what I would name. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I have to worry about it. <laughs> I'll have a think about it and I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> You can see that you'd have the whole master palette open and you'd be just uh, too many choices. It's like a lolly shop. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I can't think of one. Although I, I quite like that. I quite like all of those. It'd be nice if, you know, like with the dichroic film, how they start, you know, I find that sort of opalescent. It's not quite opalescent. It's like sort of almost holographic mm. colours. It would be interesting if they could sort of develop the technology to sort of work with that a little bit more to create some of those dichroic colours in a paint. That would oh, be pretty amazing. Totally. Yeah. That's my Xanadu. That sounds heavenly. Yeah. It's living in my head now. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Danielle. Yes. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mm.